Well, I used to coach basketball in a uh, Christian league where after every game, the kids got an award. Uh, it was my responsibility to make sure that every kid got every award twice in the season. Basically, five awards you could get, five different awards. Usually played about 10 games, so each kid would get each award uh, twice. Uh, and the awards did what? Well, they reflected the character of Jesus Christ. One year, I was coaching fifth and sixth graders, and we had a kid on our team who had a foul mouth. And it was our fifth game. And I had held out as long as I could from him getting one of the five awards. And I was told that I had to give him this award. And that particular game, he broke the Christian Basketball League record for cursing in a game. And the award that he got was for being Christ-like. <laughs> I protested and had to do it. And instead of just saying, well, here's an award for him being Christ-like, I sort of put everybody towards what being Christ-like was. I think that's the way a lot of people think. I think that they think that they can live however they want. And in the end, God will still give them the award. That it doesn't really matter. Now, if you're not a Christian, we're glad that you've joined us here today, either in person or online in one of the other rooms. We're so glad that you're with us. But Jesus only promises heaven to those who repent and believe. They turn to God, repent, they turn and believe, they put their trust in Jesus. And God also, we're told, honors those who faithfully serve him. Now, the story of Daniel is this, if you've been with us, if you haven't, it's fine. It's Daniel and his friends have been taken captive from Jerusalem to Babylon, and they are really in a different world. And that's why we've entitled this series, Living in a New World. Babylon is a place that is spiritually dark, and many people feel that's the world we live in. Um, but you can be, in such a world, the title of our message today, honored by God. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. He said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. He's not like, well, hey, you know, maybe you should be the light. Or maybe it's a suggestion. Nope, that, we are the light of the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're it. Now, if... If I were God, if you were God, we might come up with a little better plan, wouldn't you? <laughs> but, but, but we're it. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they, the idea is, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, let it shine before other people, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And even though Jesus said that 600 years after Daniel lived, that's what Daniel and three of his friends are doing in Babylon. So now you might say, well, that sounds good, Pastor Jim. That sounds good. How do I honor God with my life? 
And we often say you do it with your life, the way you live, and with your lips, the way you talk. But in Daniel chapter 2, I think we see some principles about how he did it that we can apply directly to our own lives. And so Daniel is living in a difficult situation. He's a prisoner of war. He's a slave. He is far from home. He's a teenager. But there's four different things that I want to draw our attention to today. Make it easy for me to remember. They all begin with the letter P. And if you want to take them down in notes, the first one is prayer. The second one is praise. The third one is proclamation. And the fourth one is practice. So write them down now because we're not going to put them up on the screen. Prayer, praise, proclamation, and practice. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream. We covered this already, and, and he asked his wise men, including Daniel and his three friends, to tell him the dream and the interpretation. Now, the, the, the top-level pagan wise men of the country went to the king and said, that's not the way it works. The, the way it works is you tell us the dream, and we give you the interpretation. So it's like when you go to the doctor. The doctor says, so what's wrong? You don't go, Guess. Right? You don't say that. You tell the doctor what's wrong, and then the doctor sort of takes it from there. But Nebuchadnezzar says, nope, that's not the way we're going to work it. If you can't tell me the dream and the interpretation, well, then you're going to die. In fact, if you all, between all of you guys can't do it, you're all going to die. And so this is our third study in chapter two, and, and some of this we already covered, but we'll give, you know, for the benefit of you know, refreshing our minds, there's some review. In verse 16, Daniel comes in. Remember, we said Daniel was on the junior varsity. He wasn't in the first group of guys that came in, and he said, I think I can do this. I just need more time. So God says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, you can have more time. Then in verse 17 and 18, uh, the first thing he does is what? Anybody Remember? He prayed. Very good, class. Very good. Is that what you would have done? I would have been back to my, went back to my friends and been like, dude, we need to get out of this place, man. We need to escape. He's going he's gonna to kill all of us. But that's not what he does. This is the first thing he does is he goes and he prays with his friends. Now, Daniel, the amazing thing is being a teenager, remember we said we need to give teenagers more credit than we really do. He's a teenager, He's a, he's a wise man already, not a wise guy. He's a wise man already. He's a giant of the faith. And even at this young age, probably 14, 17, 18 years old in that vicinity, he's a guy that we would say is committed to a life of prayer. And, and that's a lesson that God has to teach us. And how does God do it? He often does it by putting us in completely helpless situations, by impossible situations. Let me give you an example. One time, I wanted to do something for the church. And we had to appear before the town board. In fact, the reason that we had to sit it in the, before the town board is we needed a variance on the what we have with our zoning here. In fact, you're sitting in the very room where the variance was. And this was the main thing that we were going after. We had a whole list of things we wanted to get out of this meeting, but this was the main thing we were going after. And so uh, we need to go before the town board. And so I, every, I asked around, everybody told me, this is the best attorney. He's on the town board of another town. He knows what to say. He knows everybody in this town. You, you know, he's 
no problem. So I went to see him. He goes, oh, yeah, we could do this. No problem. In fact, he did the variance on the other part where the church that was here before us was meeting, which is now our cafe. And so he said, no problem. We'll get this. You don't have to worry about it at all. So as we're there in front of the board, one of the board members identified themselves as a Christian. And what am I doing right at the moment? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, this is great. This is great. We're going to waltz right through this thing. And he was the one who stopped it. Like, what did I do to you? He was the one who stopped it. And so it got a little, he got a little heated. And, and so the chairman suggested that we come back next week to, next month, sorry, to talk about it a little bit more. Now, here's the reality. I test, had already testified. I said everything I needed to say. So my preparation, which was really, to be honest with you, the number one thing on my list was done. So what needed to become number one on my list? Prayer. What should have been number one on my list all along? Prayer. So I knew everything that I needed to say. I had said everything that I needed to say. It was public record what I needed to say. So I moved prayer to the top of my preparation list. So the night came. And I'm sitting there with the attorney, and the attorney's like, I don't know what, what's going to happen. This guy really doesn't like something about you. And in fact, he you know, wasn't even from the area. And, and so I'm sitting there, and there was a furniture store that went before us. And I'm looking, and his chair is empty. And I'm thinking like, oh, where is this guy? Where is this guy? Lord, did, you know, come on, I prayed that he would you know, get on board with everything. So it comes time for us. And so the chairman says, well, Mr. So-and-so, whatever his name was, uh, he's very much against everything that was what we're saying. That's why we had you come back uh, this month. And he said, but he phoned us and his car broke down on the way in. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> so my attorney looks at me and says to me, do you want me to run the table? Well, being a former gambler, I knew what that meant. I said, yes. So we got the second time everything we went for the first time and more things that we ever imagined, some stuff we haven't even used yet. But it's because I prayed and God was faithful in that instance. Daniel was smart, but he also realized his limitations and his need for God. And so he prayed for power that he didn't have. And that's an important thing about our prayers, that we pray for power that we don't have. Uh, it's important to pray from a position of dependence and a position of weakness, almost like a child begging a parent. You know, when, when, when a child wants something, uh, they do not let up, do they? I mean, they are just so determined and you're just like, man, I, I really wish that, that, that they could be this determined about other things. But they continue to do that. And the tendency to trust in ourselves is real. Daniel didn't do that. There was a problem. He had to come up with a solution. He went right to his friends and they prayed. But the tendency to, to trust in ourselves is real. And I think there's even a tendency to trust in our prayers. Thinking that just because we prayed about something that God is entitled to answer us in the way that we want, and he's not. Perhaps you're in a crisis right now. Perhaps you watch the news. Do any of you watch the news? And then you turn it off and you're like, why do I watch the news? And you feel our nation is in a crisis. Maybe 
It's all God's call to get you to come back to him. Maybe, maybe God is, is saying that he wants you to come back to him now in real, heartfelt prayer instead of just sort of just kind of going through the motions of the way you pray. Maybe, maybe every door of opportunity you have been knocking on has been shut uh, in your face, and, and you're realizing that perhaps the reason is, is that God is using these doors shutting in your face because you are far from him, or you're just not in a good place, and he wants to bring you back. Maybe you've lost touch with your Christian friends. Maybe you're no longer serving in the kingdom of God. Maybe the word of God and prayer are things that you're saying, like, I got to get back to it. I got to get back to it. I got to get back to it. But you haven't gotten back to it yet. And Jesus is using all of those things today even to call you. Uh, sometimes people ask me, what's the hard, been the hardest thing about for you pastoring through this time period that we're in right now? And you know what? There's some people, there's all the varying opinions on what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And that, that, honestly, it doesn't really bother me that much. Uh, some people get into some heated discussions about politics and things like that. And that, you know, that doesn't really bother me that much. You want to know what really bothers me? And I'm going to be honest with you, not only does it bother me, it totally breaks my heart. That I have seen that people who had made such incredible progress in the things of God over the past several years, lose it all or lose a great deal of it. And, and now people who a year ago, two years ago, I thought, well, that's a person who's really growing in grace, really growing in maturity in their faith. They don't look like they're, they're anything, want anything much to do with the Lord. They're so much concerned about other things. They don't longer, any longer want to be connected. Do you know that God has wired us to be connected? Did you know that? People say, well, I'm not so sure about that. I can prove it. Adam was in the garden with God, correct? And what did God say? You need another human being. You, you, it's good to be connected to me, but you also need to be connected to other people. And a lot of us are working from home. I've been working from home for years. It just always was, even when I owned my own business, I, a lot of times I worked home in the morning. And I'm definitely more productive at home. But I need other people because I need to be connected. And, and that's what we all need. And to, and to watch people who were really growing in their faith become so incredibly disconnected has been such a hard thing for me to watch. In verse 19, Daniel, after the prayer meeting, he goes to bed and he saw the answer to his prayer in a night vision. He saw Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And instead of running straight to him, we saw in verses 20 to 23, he responds with the second thing, which was praise. He moves from prayer to praise. Now, some of you say, well, if God would answer my prayers, I would praise him. And usually we say, well, God always answers our prayers. It's either yes, no, or not yet. Well, it's kind of a fourth option. What if you don't like the answer that he gives you? Could you still praise him? What if, what if God told you what to do and it was the right thing to do? And doing the right thing puts you 
in a place of criticism. It puts you in a place of maybe more trouble than you were before or a tougher spot. And you're sitting there going, why did I open my mouth? Or God, why would you tell me to open my mouth and put me in this place? I can't speak for all of you, but I think I can speak for a lot of us that it's a lot easier to pray in a crisis than it is to praise in a crisis. Like Daniel did. Now you say, wait a minute, Pastor Jim, hold on, hold on, slow down, slow down. I was here when we went through that. He got the answer to the dream. There's no crisis. Really? Do you remember what the answer to the dream was? Well, king, your kingdom's going to get squashed. (laughs) Duck. You don't want to tell him that. I mean, the dream was right. If the pagan wise men knew what the dream was, that what would they have done? They would have twisted the interpretation to make the king happy, and they would have lived. But, but Daniel, he, he just couldn't do that. that. That raises the question under the idea of praise. How can we, how do we praise God when things are not going well? When we're afraid? When we don't know what's, what's coming next, well, the first thing we can do is we can remember God's faithfulness in the past. Many of you have a story of a time. I just relayed one when God was faithful, when I had to go before the town board, when, when you had a, a time in the past when God was faithful to you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, start there. Start there. Just think about the past and say, God, thank you for that. I remember you helped me in the past there. That means I know you can help me here. If you're not a follower of Jesus, why don't you start being a follower today? And let today be the day that the start of God's faithfulness is active in your life. We see God's faithfulness in the pages of the Bible. Do you think of that when you read your Bible? When you see God rescue people, do you think, oh, well, if he could rescue them, he could rescue me. Or sometimes God doesn't rescue the people. And you're thinking, well, if God doesn't rescue them and yet they can still walk with God, then I can do the same thing. Well, that's what Daniel did. You say, how do you know? Well, verse 23, he said, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. He remembered what God had done in the past for his ancestors. The second thing, after we think about what God has done in the past, we look for God's faithfulness in the present. Now, that may take quite a bit more faith and trust on your part, especially in a crisis moment. Sometimes you're thinking, how could any good come out of this? I mean, how could this be anything, anything other than heartache? There's no, there's no reason why this should be good God. No reason at all. And I think it's fair to say that it takes more faith and trust when the future doesn't look good. But Daniel's a prisoner of war. Remember, we said he's going to be one his entire life. His future does not look good. He's not going back home. And yet he's still praising the Lord. But that doesn't mean we don't do anything. We listen to God's calling. 
We step out in faith in the power of the gospel. Third, we praise God for the future. You say, well, well, we really don't know what the future is going to bring. Well, for a follower of Jesus, the future is guaranteed to be good. Bad choice of words. It's guaranteed to be perfect in eternity. Why? Because the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty because of the cross and resurrection. I told the people in the last service, I'm going to tell you. Sometimes you watch people, the way they walk into church, the way you listen to them sing or not sing, and you wouldn't think the tomb was empty. you think Jesus was still in there. Sometimes it feels like, I don't know, Saturday to me at church. Does that ever feel that way to you? You know, Saturday, where, what do you mean, what is Saturday? Well, Jesus died on Friday. He was in the tomb on Saturday, the dead body in the tomb on Saturday, and then he rose from the graves on Sunday. Sometimes church feels like Saturday to me. It's like, come on, come on. I, said, I got here this morning. I said, good morning, how are you? <laughs> Happy Saturday to you. No, the tomb is empty. We should be singing like the tomb is empty. We should be together after service, hanging out. It was great after the first service. I was out in the parking lot watching people just talking and, and joyful and smiling. And just why? Because the tomb is empty. And so we know the future is going to be good. Now you say, oh, Pastor Jim, I know the tomb is empty, but the circumstances today are still bad. I didn't say the circumstances were going to change. They may or they may not. But here, here's the thing. When you know the future is guaranteed, it will change your heart today. Because, it is, because the empty tomb, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has given followers of Jesus the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That someday we will be able to stand before the king. And, the, and he's, he's our father. He's our savior. And we don't need to be afraid as Jesus is leaving earth, he said, I will be with you always, today and for all eternity. So do you know if you're a follower of Jesus, he's with you today. He's going to be with you tomorrow. He's going to be with you for all eternity. So my dear Christian friend, remember and never ever forget, you are a child of the king. You are in God's eyes royalty. So don't forget that. Sometimes you got to keep that stuff out in front of you in the midst of today's crisis. That's why we should sing with joy because of the outpouring of the grace of God coming in the future is tremendous. Remember what we often say around here. We have it already, but not yet. The future is guaranteed. It is ours. We have it already but not yet. Sometimes people inherit money, and maybe it's, there's some stipulations in the inheritance of the money. So let's say you had a rich uh, uncle who's a billionaire or something like that. If you do, let me tell you a few things we'd like to buy for the church. But anyway, <laughs> you have a rich uncle who's a billionaire, and you know that he's leaving you all that money. And so, you know, maybe you go to the attorney and say, well, I know that, you know, I got maybe you're 
18. I don't get it till I'm 25. Can I have a little money for college or something like that? And they say, oh, sure, here's, here's a little bit of money you can have. It's kind of a front money. You can enjoy some of it before you get it all. We enjoy some of what our inheritance is here on earth until we get a full inheritance. We have the inheritance already. We haven't fully yet realized, but we still enjoy it. So from, from prayer, we move to praise. Then Daniel moves us to proclamation. Let's go back to what we covered at the end of the dream was last week, verse 44. He says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall, be, it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So now he's talking about, he's looking way into the future of seeing the second coming of Jesus. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone, remember we said last week, that's Jesus, was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king that which will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Now, there's an interesting thing I've noticed about the Christian life. There's a lot, but here's one. When we proclaim God, when we talk to other people about him, when we pray and, and we pray out loud and we thank God for who he is, even when we sing either by ourselves or we sing together in church and we're proclaiming God, it strengthens us. Somehow he strengthens us. And when God strengthens us, I know this is true for me, I'm able to see more clearly. When I'm praying, praising, and proclaiming, I am able to see life more clearly. When you see God at work, as it says in Ephesians, it strengthens your inner man or your inner person. So it goes like this. As you are doing these things, strength comes from the outside into you, and then it goes out of you. It's sort of like when somebody brings you, do you ever have somebody bring you all this food and you're like, I could never eat all this food in a million years. And they're like, oh, I'll take some of it home or something like that. God, when he strengthens us, gives us so much. It's just, it's more than we need. Why? Because he wants us to share it with others. And that doesn't mean you just have to, you know, go around, you know, always well, you're sinning and you're doing this wrong. And that just being able to share the goodness of God with other people. And so as Daniel points Nebuchadnezzar to the Lord, what is it doing? It's killing Daniel's pride. I mean, he, remember, he was one of those smart, wise men guys. And it miraculously grows his confidence and his faith and trust in the Lord. Now, difficult times tend to lead us Really, I find with most people, it leads them farther from God if they allow that to happen or closer to him. I have found usually on the other end of trouble and trials and difficulties in my life that those were times that I experienced the presence of God in a very, very powerful way. And what comes with the presence of God? The love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God, the power of God. So what, is it, so what does it look like in practice? That's our fourth P. 
Well, one practice that God honors is faithfulness to him. God honors faithfulness. Look at verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel. Now that is not the position of a king. You would come and bow to the king. The king didn't bow to the people. And commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. Verse 47. Now, you would think he's now worshiping Daniel as a god, but verse 47 clarifies what's going on. The king answered Daniel and said, now remember we said that throughout, different people had come to theological conclusions throughout chapter 2. Here's Nebuchadnezzar's theological conclusion. Truly your God is the God of gods. Now on the one hand, Nebuchadnezzar believed in multiple gods, but, but, and there's many false gods in this world, but there's, never, there's not really other gods. There's only one God. Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. So, what seems to be happening here is Nebuchadnezzar is honoring Daniel as God's representative. But once again, what do we notice about Daniel? He doesn't take the credit for himself. He doesn't take the credit at all. In one sense, Nebuchadnezzar's reaction should be our reaction. What does he do? He bows down and worships an all-powerful and all-knowing God. He is, if you will, stunned by God. Have you ever been stunned by God? It actually, it happens, somebody asked me about this after the last service. It actually happens to me a couple times a week. It's, it's sort of like I'm, I'm reading the Bible, I'm studying the Word of God, I'm driving, all of a sudden something pops in my head, I, I notice something or whatever, and I kind of do one of these. Ooh. Some of you are like, you should have that looked at, Pastor Jim. <laughs> you just, I just do this. And you want to know something, sometimes it happens with the congregation. Sometimes I'll say something and y'all will go, ooh. It's like God just hits everybody, and, and it's sort of a thing, and that's sort of what happens to, to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he doesn't convert, but Daniel's not going to give up on him. But here's why he kind of did one of these, because hmm. his worldview has been shaken. His, his faith in false gods have been shaken. And sometimes I think we expect of ourselves that we're going to tell people about Jesus and they're going to be like, oh, like we expect them to be Christians from right, right, right from the get-go. Really? So where do you guys get your sackcloth and ashes so I can repent? And, you know, and I'm like, what? <laughs> no, a lot of times it's just talking to people, hearing what their worldview is, be willing to listen to them and discuss it with them and just then being familiar with the Christian worldview. And, and talking with them about it and getting them to, to think about it and find out, well, why do you think that way? And what, what, what has brought you to that point? You see, most of us know, if, if you've experienced this, that God uses a series of events to get you to come to faith in him. It's very rare for someone to hear the gospel one time and believe. And usually when that happens, they don't last very long. They're really kind of just looking for a new group of friends or, or they want God to fix their problems. Normally, it is a series of events uh, to bring you to faith. And so, honestly, right now, this could be what's going on. 
that God is using a series. Last year, the series of events we went through was just incredible, but God uses a series of events to get people to think about maybe he does exist. Or maybe there's more to the world than, than we know or that we see. And God wants to use you and me in the lives of such people. Now, it's easy to miss some simple principles that I think are in the Bible. Uh, one is, is that God seems to release his power when we give him glory. He just does. That's why it's important to, to glorify God. And one thing it also does is if you're talking with people, when you give the glory to God, what does it do? It gets people's eyes off of you and onto him. Now, this may surprise you. Whenever I go to an event, and I know there's going to be a lot of drinking there, I used to drink like crazy. I'm excellent at it, really. That's why I don't get drunk anymore. God took that from me. There's no desire for that. I'm, I know for some of you it's a dog fight, and so, but, but for me it wasn't. But when I, when I, because of him, but when I go to a party, I, this may sound weird to, me, to you, but I, I will pray, Lord, please, may I please receive multiple offers for drinks? So somebody will say, hey, you want a beer? No, thank you. Two minutes later, hey, come on, man, how about a nice cold one? And I go, you know, I don't drink. Would you like to know why? <laughs> and then I tell them the story about how I used to drink and get drunk all the time. I didn't drink just to have a drink. I drank to get drunk. And, and, and how God took that all away from me. Now, I realize he doesn't do that for everybody, but that's what he did for me. And then the conversation immediately is now about what? About God. And I find that people will actually listen talking about God, then I'm just talking about me. Now, I'm sure they go to their friends, don't offer him a beer. Whatever you do, do not offer that guy a drink. Or maybe they go, hey, I think that guy wants a drink if they want to get you. If they want to get you. But, but, but when we give God the glory, it seems that he just releases his power. But many of you, I know, you're afraid of rejection. Or this is what people say. I don't want to make people upset. All right, can I just let you know a little secret? You're from New Jersey. <laughs> you make people upset all the time. <laughs> I think sometimes you ever be around people from other, other states, so you go, it's just our mere presence. Some people are like, oh, you're from Jersey. Oh. But God values and honors your faithfulness to him. Now, Jesus and the apostles faced rejection, didn't they? You seem slow to answer that. They hung Jesus on a cross. They crucified him. They, they, they martyred the apostles. So if they experience rejection in their faithfulness, we will too. But not by God. The scripture says, God says if, uh, that he will honor those who honor him. And if you're faithful in just, just telling people the message... Remember this, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message. You're God's representative. They're not, re re they're not rejecting you. They're, re they're rejecting Jesus. Now, many people like Nebuchadnezzar know 
of the true and living God, but they don't know him in a personal and committed way. I specifically said it that way on purpose because a lot of people say, I know God personally, but you don't see any commitment. Well, that's part of a relationship, isn't it? A real deep felt personal relationship is, is you are committed to it. Well, why is it so important to know Jesus? Well, I'll read John 17, 3 to you twice. Jesus is praying this the night before the cross. He says, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Jesus is praying to his father and he says this, and this is eternal life. Whenever the Bible talks about eternal life, it talks about eternal life in heaven with God for all eternity. He says, this is eternal life, father, that they may know you. Not know about you, but they may actually know you. They actually know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed one, whom you have sent. So you have to know God. Another practice that God honors is integrity. Integrity. Look at verse 48. Then the king promoted Daniel. What, what, did, what did God do? He made the king honor Daniel's faithfulness, honor Daniel's proclamation, honor Daniel's faithfulness. Another uh, version says that then the king placed Daniel in a high position. It literally means then the king made Daniel great and gave him many great gifts. Now, he said back in verse 6, anybody who could get this dream right and the interpretation right, he would do that. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. That's a big deal. Everybody answers to Daniel. Except for who? Nebuchadnezzar. And he made him chief administrator or in charge over all the wise men of Babylon. How do you think they felt about that? I mean, some of these guys serving the king for a long time and, and serving in the kingdom of Babylon, and they're like, this kid is going to be my boss? Are you kidding me? So, so but what did God do? He's going to use this young man, and we'll see his three young friends, to show God's wisdom to people. Did you know that's what God wants to do through you? Did you know that God wants to use your life to show his wisdom to people? And sometimes I think we, 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 go, we get out there in these ways like it's got to be these supernatural things. And I used to point that out when I owned my trucking company to the guys that I worked with. And I would say, that's a wise guy, a wise man. That's a smart guy. That guy's in it to win it. Let me give you an example. I had certain drivers, when it snowed, would come in two hours early, which means they had to get up three to four hours early to shovel their own driveway, to shovel their cars out, maybe their wife's car out or something like that. And then they would come in and they would get the trucks ready and get with a plow mist and stuff like that and get everything ready so we could get the trucks out on time. Other guys would come half hour, hour, two hours late. You're late. It snowed where I live. <laughs> We'd be like, really? <laughs> oh, wow, must have missed us. It's sunny in 85 where we live. 
What is that? That is basic wisdom. Basic wisdom. So maybe on your job, it's a busy season. You come in early. Well, boss says, what are you doing here early? Well, I'm here early because I know it's busy. You don't have to pay me. A good boss is going to say, I'm going to pay you anyway. Or maybe he's like, well, I can stay late. I told my family, you know, this is a busy season. I might be a little bit late. What, what are these things? These things are wisdom. Simple, simple wisdom. So people are like, well, you know, that, you know somebody's like, oh, those Christians, man, a bunch of flakes. And then all of a sudden, somebody at the dinner table goes, well, you know, sorry, that was one I work with. He's not flaky. She's pretty much on the ball, really caring about other people. Seems, to, seems that God puts us in those places. Now, this is a political appointment, not a religious one. This must be an amazing thing for a Jew in pagan Babylon. I cannot imagine the backlash for this. They must have hated it. Now, Will there be times when Daniel will be asked to compromise? Oh, you better believe it. I know some of you are hoping for a promotion. Well, one thing I've learned, that the higher up you move in an organization, the more compromise you're going to be asked to make. That, that's, just the, that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it works. So for sure, Daniel's going to be asked to compromise more. So how's he going to deal with it? Well, he's not going to... He's, He's going to use wisdom. Some things are not so bad. Some things are not. You know, some things we think are compromised, maybe not necessarily are. Some things are. He'll use, let the word of God, prayer, the Holy Spirit, and his integrity be his guide. If you don't know the story, I don't really have time to, to go into it, but you can read for your own in the, you know, start at the book of Exodus and you'll, You'll read about it, about Moses. You know, Moses could not get Egypt, which was a, is a symbolic of sin in the Bible. Moses could not get Egypt out of the people of God. He just couldn't. They were like, oh, we miss Egypt. When they were there, they're like, oh, God, get us out of here. But when they got out, all they could do was complain. Oh, we missed Egypt. Oh, we missed the food. Oh, we missed it. It was so great there. And so God said, all right, you want to walk around the wilderness for 40 years? Go ahead. So they walked around the wilderness for 40 years, and only a few of them went into the promised land. Just a few. The rest of them died in the wilderness. Why? Because they could not, because Moses could not get Egypt out of those people's hearts. The exact opposite is the case with Daniel. They took him to Babylon but they could not get Jerusalem out of his heart. He wouldn't change. He wouldn't change to be a Babylonian. He's like, there's no way I'm going to become a Babylonian. So let me ask you, friend, let me ask you this hard, soul-searching question. What's gone on in our country recently? What's going on in the world? Is it enough to get Jesus out of your heart? Is it enough to get the kingdom of God out of your heart? You know, for a lot of people, it has been. That's what I said earlier. It's the hardest part about this whole pastoring thing right now is to watch people who are letting either all of it or some of it go because of the things that have happened. I understand some people are afraid. But other people are truly giving up on Jesus. 
Sometimes followers of Jesus are going to be put in places of authority. For those of you out in the working place, I can tell you this. I know that the working world is really looking for intelligent people with integrity because it's in very short supply. There's not a lot of it out there. You know, don't claw your way to the top. Pray and praise and proclaim. Be faithful. Have integrity. You say, well, I'm not so sure I'll get anywhere doing it that way. Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7 says this, For exaltation, I love the, the King James Version. You know what the old King James Version is? That's the Bible Jesus used? No, he didn't. It came out in the 1600s. <laughs> but some people swear it was the Bible he used. The old King James Version says promotion. For promotion comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. Well, what's left? The north. That's where it comes from. But God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. So maybe there's something you feel God is, wants to do in your life. Let's re always remember this. Your job, my job, is to prepare. God's job is to promote. And here's the secret to the preparation. You ready? Enjoy every minute of it. Enjoy every minute of it. Because if you enjoy the preparation part, you'll eventually come to the point and you'll say to the Lord, you know what, Lord, if you want to promote me, fine. If you don't, fine. I'm enjoying the preparation. Because maybe the Lord's not going to promote you. Maybe the Lord just wants to equip you and wants you just to enjoy the preparation process. Maybe the preparation is going to, the promotion is going to come in the next life. You and I don't know. But don't stress the promotion. Work hard, diligently, faithfully at the preparation. The final practice we see here that God honors is loyalty. God honors loyalty. And here, loyalty to God is expressed in loyalty to others. I'm not so sure we think about it that way. That, we're, we're, that we owe each other a certain level of loyalty. That's why we try to create an environment difficult now, but we try to create an environment here where you can actually meet a lot of different people here in the church. If you come late and leave early, that's going to be hard for you. If you only want to talk to me, that's going to be hard for you. But, but we, want to, we want to create a th uh, an environment where you get to know one another and you express your loyalty to God by loyal through loyalty to people. Verse 49 says, also Daniel petitioned the king. At this point in time, for his three friends, Daniel becomes like a savior. He becomes like Jesus. And he's going to make a request of the king. What is he going to do? He's going to ask the king to take care of his friends. We see his loyalty and integrity towards his fellow believers. As Daniel petitioned, also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So we're going to see, it appears next week that they're out in the country. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now remember, 
from, future, from previous studies, if not, to let you know, the gate of the king, the gate of the city was where the leader sat. Oh, how different Daniel was. In our study in the life of Abraham, do you remember who sat at the gate of Sodom? Lot. And what did he do? He became like the people of the city. He became like the people of that wicked city. He didn't make a difference. He sat at the gate and it ruined him. Or then there's that traitor Absalom, son of King David. Tries to steal the kingdom from his father. Goes and sits at the gate and the people are coming in and he's like, hey, what's, what are you here for? And they're like, here I'm see the king. He goes, well, I'm here to see the king. And he goes, oh, he's too busy. Now, if I were king, I would have time for people like you. But he's too busy working. Well, I'm too busy trying to steal the kingdom from you. That's why if you ever hear somebody talk about someone, they go, that guy's an Absalom. That is not a compliment. <laughs> that is a traitor. So Lot sat there, became like the people of the wicked city. Absalom is there bringing his wickedness, trying to be disloyal to the king. He has no loyalty. How different than Daniel, who's loyal to his friends and sits at the gate of the king. Daniel didn't forget his friends. And he also knew that the way he lived his life affected others, and it mattered to him. Even after God had revealed to Daniel that the stone would come, and the stone we know is the Messiah, Daniel was still involved in the things of the world. You think he would be like, well, now I know the future. That's it. Time to retire. Take a vacation. No, Daniel is still involved in the things of the world. It's so important that we do not let our anticipation or expectation of the Lord's return take us away from serving the Lord, from serving his church and serving his world. Some people are like, well, the Lord's coming back anyway next week or something like that. What's the point? It's a big point. It's a really big point. If you really believe that the Lord is coming back next week, then you probably should be telling everybody you see he's coming back. Time to get yourself right with God. These men, as we shall see, did not isolate themselves from the world. They sought the welfare and the faith of the people of Babylon without compromise. This is a balance that we have to keep. We can't only be focused on the second coming. Some people are, all, that's all they talk about. That's all they're focused on. I usually warn them, you better be careful. You might die next week. They're like, what do you mean I might die next week? Well, because if you're only thinking about the second coming and that's all your mind is on, then God doesn't need you here on earth. <laughs> what purpose do you serve? We serve a big purpose on earth. We are the representatives of God. We are the, we are the ministers, the priests, if you will. The, Peter talks of the priesthood of all believers. We are the priests of this world. We're here. We're living in this time. God has a mission for every single one of you if you are a follower of Jesus. I'm dead serious. He's got a mission for all of you. Won't you, won't you join in the mission? 
mean, how important is it to you? Some, of, some people have the attitude of, well, I'm in. That's all really all that matters. I became a Christian in 1988 in the spring, and there was a, there was a, a book that came out, 88 Reasons Why God's Coming Back in 1988. He was supposed to come back in September. People are like to me, well, you're in. And I'm like, okay, I'm in, but what about everybody else? It didn't happen. So then the guy, same guy wrote a book, 89 Reasons Why God's Going to Come Back in 1989. <laughs> Nobody bought that one, I guess. Didn't happen. But let me ask you, do, do you want this to be it? How many of you have loved ones that you want to see enter the kingdom of God? How many of you? Yeah, like all of you. The rest of you, I don't know who your family members are, but or your friends, but, 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 but of course we do. Of course we do. And somebody told us about Jesus. The first person that told me about Jesus was my seventh and eighth grade religion teacher. I went to religious school, only read the Bible two years out of 12. Sister Maria Brooke. Love Jesus. She loved Jesus. I don't remember a thing she told me. We read the New Testament in those two years, cover to cover, from what I remember. I don't remember a thing she told me. I only remember her passion and her love for Jesus. Somebody probably shared the same way with you. I don't know about you, man. I don't want to show up in, I don't want to show up in heaven empty-handed. I don't want to get to heaven and say to Sister Maria Brooke, hey, thanks for teaching me how to read the Bible. I want to go, hey, look at all the people I brought with me because of you, because of you. You put that interest in my heart that took 20 years to blossom. I still remember you telling me about when Jesus walked on the water. I still remember that. I don't remember any of the details. I just remembered you, your mind was blown by that. Man, Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, don't you, don't you want us to show up at heaven with a bunch of real converts? Not churchgoers, real converts. Don't you want to say, look what we got in tow? Not church people. On the other hand, some people are so fixed on today, they have lost sight of eternity. It's all about today. That's why they don't tell anybody about eternity because they don't think about it. They don't tell any people about how to get to heaven because they don't think about it. Yes, we want to improve our world, but ultimately we want to take others to the kingdom of heaven with us. Perhaps you're here today and you feel helpless. Things are out of control, maybe. And the fear you are experiencing right now is paralyzing to you. Or you're watching online and the fear is paralyzing to you. I want to share with you a somewhat of a Mother's Day story of a time when fear was paralyzing in my life. 24 years ago, a little over that, I drove Pam to the hospital 
while we were in, she was in labor, we were in labor, easy for the guy to say, we were in labor with our third child. I don't want to embarrass him, but he is here right now. And he's sitting, I won't show you. <laughs> now, um, I, by the third child, you kind of know the routine. And our first two kids, the labors were very long. Uh, came in the middle of the night or early in the morning. Those of you women who've had babies, that's what happens a lot of times. You're sleeping, you're relaxed, whatever. This actually happened while I was at work. So I didn't have um, any time to get any dinner. We're driving at the hospital. I need to get gas. Pam was yelling at me about that. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're driving... We're driving to the, to the hospital, and, and um, so we pull up front, and I drop her off, and we know it's going to be a long night because we know we have long labors. That's what happens. And um, so she says, well, you go park the car. I'll, I'll, I'll check myself in and go to the ca you know, cafeteria and get dinner and then come on upstairs, and uh, we'll, we'll see what's, you know, how long this is going to be and whatever. So I park the car, and I'm starting to walk over towards the cafeteria, and a little voice pops into my head. And nobody, nobody will ever, ever, ever convince me that it was not the Holy Spirit. Nobody. And this was the little voice that I heard. It, it was not audible, but it might as well have been. It was that clear. You need to get upstairs. You need to get upstairs. So I get up to the room. I walk in the room, and it's this big room. There's this little table over here on the left, and then my wife is over there in the corner. And the, this nurse turns to me, and she goes, Are you the father? I'm not even two steps in the door. Are you the father? I am. She yells across to the room, and she goes, Okay, she can start pushing now. I'm like, No, 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 no. We have long labors. This is not how the script goes. This is all wrong here. Something, something is not right. So she starts to push, and the baby comes out. Now, we never knew what we were having. We, liked, we wanted surprises. We already had a, a boy and a girl, perfect family. So what do we need a third one for, right? <laughs> and this one, when he came out, he looked very different. He was beat purple. Later on, the nurses would say, well, he came out blue. I'm like, that dude was not blue. He was purple. And um, you could see the panic all over everybody's face. And they yelled out, go get Dr. So-and-so. And they bring him away from Pam over to this little table. And I looked, and my little boy wasn't breathing. He was trying, but he couldn't breathe. He couldn't breathe. Pam's on the other side of the room yelling, what's the matter, what's the matter? And the only words I could get out of my mouth were this, 
No, God, no. No. Please, please, no. No. I was begging God. I was so helpless. And I was just begging him. And my son lived. But God's son didn't live. And for just a few minutes, I got a taste of what some of you have experienced. That's why, this may seem weird to you, but every time a woman in this church has a miscarriage, I get this sick, sick feeling in my stomach. Every time I hear of a little child dying, I get this, this thing that reminds me of that day. So I get a taste of what some of you have gone through. I get a taste of, of what God went through when his own son died on the cross. Why would God the Father go through that? Why would he let Jesus die on the cross? Because Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins. And I know a lot, in this day and age, a lot of people don't, I am not a sinner, don't tell me I'm a sinner, I don't want to hear anything of it. That's fine. We won't talk about that. I'll just say something like this. You know, God made the world. He told us how to live. We didn't live that way, and when we don't live that way, he calls it sin. And the result of that is this world is broken. So I understand you don't think you're a sinner. Do you agree this world is broken? Everybody go, yeah, this world is broken. Do you think we're all kind of broken? Yeah, we're, we're all kind of broken. Well, Jesus died on the cross for us that that which is broken could be made whole again. And all we need to do is turn to him and put our trust in him to get the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If you have never, like Nebuchadnezzar did, bowed your heart to Jesus, he didn't know what he was doing, but if you haven't bowed your heart to Jesus and asked for the forgiveness of sins and a full pardon, I would invite you to do that today. You remember that Daniel petitioned the king for his friends. If you put your trust in Jesus, Jesus will petition God the Father, make a request on your behalf for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life if you will trust Jesus. And then just as God honored Jesus by raising him from the dead, when you die, God will honor you by raising you from the dead. Let's stand and pray.